What is good, NBA fans? How are we? We enjoying the playoffs so far. Welcome into another week of dropping dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost, and I'm here to discuss all the round two action. Here's where we stand right now with games to play tonight. We've got Milwaukee and Boston knotted at two games apiece. Golden State and Memphis is three to one in Golden State's favor. And then it is three to two for the Miami Heat over the Philadelphia 76ers and three to two with Phoenix over Dallas. That's where we stand right now. And we're going to break down the, sorry about that, action from uh, last night's games. And then we'll shift over to the other two series and then kind of, uh, you know, a full on discussion. Um, depending on time, we'll get to uh, everybody that uh, jumps in and joins on the chat. But we'll start with <clears throat> last night's two games. The first of which was Philadelphia and Miami. And this was an absolute drubbing. Miami goes up by double digits in the first quarter and holds that through to the the end of the first half. They're up by 12. And in the third quarter, they add to that a little bit. And in the fourth quarter, they just blow the doors off the game. I mean, it was an absolute ass kicking. And then it stands. I mean, it was a 35-point win for Miami. And the discussion in the talking head sphere is that you know, it started with Barkley at halftime and it continued on through and you see it quite a bit that Embiid was so focused on losing the MVP race that he was just taken out of it mentally. He had a, a piss poor first half and the Sixers couldn't hit a shot. And uh, but it stands it. It's all Embiid's fault. He needs to get his head in the game. He's so focused on the fact that he lost to Jokic in the MVP discussion. Um that it ruined his night. And now there's pushback from people saying, well, that's not it. Why is it only, you know, there's no way it's just that. You got to hang it on all kinds of different factors, but it's definitely not, you know, uh, Embiid focused on losing to Jokic in the MVP race. And I think it's, it's got to be a little bit Embiid focused on having lost even if it's just 1% of his performance last night, because there are times in which we say, oh, well, they got snubbed, and then they come out and they have a good game, and you're like, well, they were motivated by that being snubbed. So why can't the inverse be true of that he was disheartened and dejected by the fact that he lost and felt that he was the best player in the league and there's nothing else he could have done. He's in an incredible shape. And per perhaps... I mean, I think there's a small percentage of that. I think you have to give more credit to, A, the sheer number of injuries that he's playing through at this point. Uh, he's got a fracture in his orbital bone on his right eye, and he's wearing a mask for that. His shooting hand, his thumb is all messed up on that. He went careening into the crowd to try and save a loose ball and got up and was wincing and holding his back. And the rest of his team couldn't hit a shot by and large. But I think Embiid is out of rhythm, A, for those physical maladies that he's dealing with. And then also, you got to give credit to Miami's defense. They're fronting him on entry passes. And then as soon as he gets the pass, if his teammates manage to get him in, Miami is shifting over another defender underneath. So he is battling with more than one person at all times. And Miami can especially get away with it because the other Philadelphia teammates didn't really shoot all that well all night long. I mean, Harden went back to, after his 31-point explosion in the last game, another mediocre game from Harden. Shot 5 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3. He only got to the line three times. Six boards, four assists, a steal, four turnovers, and two fouls. Just not good. And it's not as though Embiid dominated, um, you know, 7 of 12 from the floor. But still, 
compared to his teammates, a much better shooting percentage. And it looked like the Miami Heat had just taken the Sixers out of the game mentally. The Sixers looked lethargic, like this was a meaningless regular season uh, game. The only person that seemed to be playing with a lot of intensity when I was watching was uh, Tobias Harris. And he still shot 5 of 14 from the floor. So it's not like he was carrying them, which he had done uh, in the game previous. But Embiid, if, if the Sixers are going to no-show like this, and they had a bad night, it happens in the NBA. But your better teams are more resilient. I mean, look at the Golden State, the last Golden State-Memphis game, which we'll get to. Golden State started off just shooting the ball so bad, so poorly. And everything was playing into Memphis's hands. And in the fourth quarter, everybody got right. Now the free throw line helped Golden State, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But in this one, I mean, just Miami's getting production from numerous guys. Even with Kyle Lowry out, they're shooting the ball really well. Max Struess was going to put his stamp on this game, hit some uh, some big threes, a couple deep ones. Went 4-10 from three uh, overall. And I think Miami's also, you know, benefiting from having the luxury of someone like Oladipo, who slowly playing like a junior version of his former self, uh, coming in off the bench and being able to, to have another playmaker out there, especially like when it's him and Hero. Well, you got two guys out there that can play make and move around um, with and without the ball and make cuts and whatnot. But it's a game like this where the depth of Miami shows out because if they, by chance, doesn't you know they don't have someone shooting well, they have enough depth where they can hopefully make up for it in the aggregate. Uh, but it didn't really affect Miami in this game because, by and large, uh, everybody shot really well. I mean, your shooting percentages were 60% for Butler, 67% for Tucker, uh, 7-10 for Gabe Vincent, 57% for Adebayo, uh, almost 54% for Struess, 50% for Hero, 50% for Oladipo. And then once you get into the guys that played fewer minutes, you know, Duncan Robinson, 33%, Dwayne Dedman, 20%, Caleb Martin, 20%, uh, Yurtsevens, 67%, and Highsmith, 100%, two for two from the floor. But those last four guys played uh, 12 minutes apiece or less. And that, you know, they were in late in game when it was the fate of the game overall had already been decided. But I mean, credit to Miami, they're moving the ball around. Uh, they're trying to find the open man. They shot really well, but they also got back to, they got some uh, more corner threes than they had been getting. They led the league in uh, three-point attempts from the corner over the course of the regular season. And so far through this early part of the Philly series, Philly was taking that away and doing it quite successfully. And, Miami managed to shift back and then because they're hitting from some, you know, so many other places, you can't just station guys down in the corners to take out the uh, corner threes. So it opened it back up. You saw like PJ Tucker get back to PJ Tuckerness and hitting those corner threes. And, you know, Miami got into what they've consistently done throughout the course of the season. They also did, uh, they're the number one team at getting Miami is at getting the opposing team to shoot in the last six seconds of the shot clock during the course of the regular season. They managed to get the other team to do that 17% of the time, uh, which led the league by like a one and a half to two percentage points, which is a decent amount by the end of the season, but forcing teams into bad shots. And like in the previous game, they were getting that as well. But Philly was just hitting those shots. You know, contested long threes. James Harden suddenly looking like 
three years ago, a little bit ish, James Harden. Um, but Philly, it's like, you know, I'd love to see this series go seven games, but at this point, Embiid is so beaten up, and we saw what happens when he's not out on the court. They have no chance. And last night he looked extra hobbled. He took another shot to the face, which was inadvertent. I think it was Deadman went to swipe at a uh, rebound and hit the ball into Embiid's face, and Embiid went down. And, you know, it that makes that fracture of his orbital bone all the more tender. Uh, I mean, that's got to be so painful because there's not a whole lot you can do except just let it rest. You can't get surgery, but there's no way he gets surgery in the middle of a championship push. So just playing with that mask on. Uh, but credit where credit is due. Miami came out, had a game plan, executed it well. Their defense looked stifling, and they're hitting their shots. When you're hitting their shot, I mean, it's kind of been that back and forth in this series to some degree. It's like Team A is hitting their shots tonight, and Team B isn't. And then we go to the next game, and Team B is hitting their shots, and Team A isn't. Although, you know, you could you could more so point to the on-off for Embiid. Uh, you know, he's gone the first two games. Miami looks like world beaters. He comes back, and then suddenly Miami has their hands full. Uh, but if he's not at a hundred percent, or he's he's never going to be at a hundred percent in this series or the rest of the playoffs. But if he can't play some facsimile close to that, Philly has no real shot. And it's unfortunate to see because Embiid, given his injury history, his window is only going to be so large. I mean, I'd love it if he was a, you know, uh, uh, LeBron-ish, although no one's ever going to be like LeBron, but where the window of your prime can be extended through diet, exercise, modern medicine, and you can go beyond that. But given, you know, the totality of his injuries over the years, it just doesn't seem like his body's going to hold up uh, for that many minutes, that many games, that long of a career. So to see it flame out potentially again, I could easily see Miami, coming into Philly in game six and closing this out. Um, so we shall see. Um, but it was a, it was an interesting game to say the least. And I just think the back and forth narrative of, was he focused on the MVP? Well, of course, of course that was a huge detriment. And now the pushback of there's no way he was thinking about that. And it's gotta, it's gotta be somewhere in between. The degree to which, I have no idea. I would imagine in the heat of the game, Embiid is not thinking about that at all. But walking onto the court, the opening possession or two, possibly. Coming out of the half, uh, and starting the second half, and didn't have a good first one, and in your head, and be like, well, if I'm MVP, shouldn't I have a better first half and a big pivotal game five? I mean, they... You heard the stat over and over again for all these game fives. Whoever wins game five wins the series 82% of the time, which I heard that on <laughs> uh, both of the broadcasts last night. And we will more than likely hear it again tonight, at least in one of the two in the Milwaukee and Boston series. The Golden State one, I can't imagine they're going to be doing that because if Golden State wins game five, uh, you know, the series is over at that point. But you know, the next one is its going to decide quite a bit for Philly. Because will it be another year where, had they won this series, they could have gone on and won the next one and made it to a finals? Uh, I don't think it's set up for them quite the, the year that Toronto won it all. Because I think had that game even gone to overtime, I think Philly wins that game. And then assuming Golden State suffers the same injuries, Philly has a championship right now. Because uh, if you go back and watch that Toronto game, every other teammate was deferring to Kawhi because nobody wanted to shoot it. The moment seemed too big for all of them. Um, but yeah, I will. 
That game five is going to be something legit. I can't wait for it. Or no, pardon me, that game six, rather. All right, moving on to the other game of the night. Another blowout. It was a night of blowouts for both sides. Uh, Phoenix wins by 30 over Dallas. 30. So going into the half, it's a close game. It's a three-point game in Phoenix's favor. But after that first quarter, it's like Mavs are holding their own here. They've got the lead going into it. The ball movement looks uh, really good. Guys are shooting well. And uh, Phoenix, you know, isn't answering the call. They're only down by three, but it looked like, all right, Dallas has this right now. We go into the half. Phoenix has wrestled control. They go up three. And in the third quarter, they just come out and blow the doors off of them. And watching it, for Dallas, it seemed like a tremendous amount of, all right, Luca, you go. Now Brunson, you go. Now Luca, you go. And just this back and forth and back and forth. Whereas in the first half, uh, the ball seemed to be moving a little bit more freely. Now I realize the offense is designed around Luca to uh, determine what the most advantageous move is at any given time. But if your teammates are standing around possession after possession after possession in the playoffs, it makes it much easier to game plan for you. And there was a couple times where it got incredibly late in the shot clock, and Luca had to do a desperation pass over to Maxi, and Maxi had to launch. I remember too distinctly, he had to launch a ridiculously long contested three, not even open, contested three, and neither went uh, neither went in. And that to me was kind of a microcosm of where the game ended up. Phoenix is out. They're running. They're dominating in the paint. Um, they're crushing them on the boards, which is to be expected. And if I was Phoenix, I would lean into that even more. I'd just keep feeding eight in the ball and be like, throw, you know, Powell and Kleba and whoever else at him and let's get them in foul trouble and just keep taking advantage of this matchup over and over and over again, especially on those little turnarounds um, in the mid key that Aiden has. It looks silky smooth every single time, but Dallas has no interior presence and. Phoenix has depth, unlike last year, at that center position. You can plug in uh, JaVale McGee or Biombo and get good, solid minutes out of them to give Aiden a little bit of rest, and Dallas still doesn't have an answer. I mean, they're just getting – they crushed him on the boards again. Um, And offensive rebounds and just those second-chance points, and Phoenix is – Looks like a well-oiled machine. Although Luca, after the game in the tunnel, if you saw the clip, was just like, yeah, you know, they talk a lot of shit when they're up a lot, you know, by quite a bit. And I think the, you know, you could see it at the post-game presser of the early part of the season when reporters asked about just pick and roll and Luca to death. And they asked the question to CP3 and Book, and they had this, coy smile between the two of them and then gave the politically correct and coached answer of, you know, we're just out there take uh, running the offense that the team designed and trying to, to take advantage of the uh, game plan and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the look between the two of them was exceedingly telling. And then after they had no answer for Luca, the look on their face was suddenly, you know, wiped off. So perhaps Luca's assessment of, yeah, 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 they're, they're great at front running, but get them down a little bit. And, uh, they don't take a punch in the mouth too well. I just don't know when, when, it, when the Mavs devolve into this extreme ISO and the Bucks are suffering through this a little bit as well right now, especially in that last game. But when, you know, two guys are taking 60% of the field goal attempts 
for a team. Like between Doncic and Brunson, that's 40 field goal attempts out of 71. That's a shitload for two guys. And if they're not lights out, now they shot relatively well. Luka, 43% from the field, but two of eight from three. And then Brunson was 53%, but 0 of one from three. Uh, but there's not a lot of oxygen left in the room for anybody else. You know, the next highest shot total for any, any of their other teammates was Dorian Finney-Smith at two for six. Yeah, Reggie Bullock over five, Maxi Kleba one for five, Bertans three for four, Den Witty over three. That's a killer. Uh, Nilakina one for four, Trey Burke now the garbage time minutes that are kind of meaningless. Um, but those two guys are taking all the shots for their team. And there are certain nights where you're going to have a game like that. From your star player. It's like that. Nobody else is feeling it. We need you to continue to shoot. But it's been fairly consistent in this series and most others that Luca is going to get up 20, 25, 30 shots. And I just think that's a recipe for failure long term in the playoffs. You know, you need to trust your teammates. The, 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 stories of Jordan once he finally started winning at the highest stage was that Phil Jackson pulled him aside and they had a discussion about the fact that you can't shoot the ball every time. You have to get your teammates involved. You have to, to pass the ball around, even if it's just to keep the defense honest. Um, but I don't know. We'll see uh, You know the adjustments on the next game. Kid is proven to be a better coach than I anticipated just because we had seen a previous track record of maybe it's just not in the cards. Um, but Monty Williams designed a good game plan and, you know, their guys were hitting shots. It does make a difference. As simplistic it is to boil it down to one team was making their shots and the other team wasn't. Uh, but it's like it, that plus all the little things. Phoenix wins the, the rebounding game. They commit fewer uh, turnovers. Um, they're hitting you know more shots overall. Now they did get fewer free throws by a decent amount, uh, twenty-seven to sixteen overall, in favor of Dallas. But. They're just, they were executing at a higher level. And yeah, you gotta, you gotta give Phoenix all the credit there. It just, once it got up by a certain point, it was over. Um, you know, it looked like Dallas was going to keep them honest in that third quarter. After that third quarter, it was just, it was too much. All right, moving on. We'll get to, so we have two more series going tonight. And we'll get to, we'll do Golden State Memphis first, and then we'll close out with uh, Milwaukee and Boston. And then I'll slip over to uh, the chat, see what you guys say over there. So Golden State Memphis, it looks as though job may be done for the playoffs. At the very least, it looks like he's done for this series. He's got a bone bruise in his knee. And I know that Memphis fans are saying to themselves, well, where's the fervor? Why aren't people up in arms about this like they were with Dylan Brooks on Gary Payton? And I mean, upon first watching, I didn't think Poole's foul was malicious like Dylan Brooks uh, foul. I mean, Dylan was going to give a hard playoff foul that went a little over the top. Um, and the only reason I say a little over the top is he could have easily crushed him like you could anybody in the air. And I don't think he set out 
to hurt Gary Payton. I, th- I think he set out to make sure he didn't hit that shot and send him to the floor. You know, you don't assume the guy's going to land and then shatter his elbow and do some tendon and muscle damage on top of that. Um, but I've seen now um, a couple different doctors that do a breakdown of when an injury is announced and they release the medicals as to what it's, what it is, how you get an injury like that, uh, what actually happens to the human body and then what the timeline, um, for recovery is. And before it was, you know, basically before we got the, he was out for the foreseeable future. I watched a couple of those and it, each one said the likelihood of Jordan Poole having caused this injury seems slim to none just because the way he's pulling on the leg, A, didn't look like he had that firm of a grip, but B, the bone bruise, the contusion that he got would have come from a different stressor, a different direction. Now, had he exhibited uh, ligament damage in other areas on the inside or the outside. I can't remember which that would then indicate that Jordan Poole was potentially the catalyst or the Genesis of this injury. And then people started looking into clips more and more. It looked like the previous play he came down awkwardly on a layup and the way his, uh, lower leg impacted with his femur, that compression, I agree with the assessment there of if you have a bone bruise, that looks more like the bone on bone slamming together because it looks really awkward. Uh, and then the next play is when he started to exhibit, it was after the Jordan Poole uh, grab, but it was the next play he was exhibiting. Um, so I'm going to trust in their assessment, but once you watch it and you see them breaking down, if Jordan Poole's caused it, it would have, we would have seen a different injury. Um, seems legitimate to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but when you watch someone who's, you know, knowledgeable on the subject, discuss it, you're like, okay, that makes sense to me. Um, so coming into that last game, it's like, to open, this is everything Memphis wants. Golden State shot horribly. They went, what, 0 for 15 to start the game from 3? I know they went 2 of 10 in the second quarter, so they finally started hitting something, you know, 20%. But they were not, I mean, they were not shooting well at all. And it's not like Memphis was lighting the world on fire. But in reality, it's like, look, you just got Dylan Brooks back. Uh, Desmond Bain has had some back issues in this series, but let's see how he does. Uh, maybe he's close to to healthy again. We saw the return of Steven Adams, which I didn't anticipate. And at the, you know, to not even play Tillman and reduce Brandon Clark's minutes, I found really interesting. Although Steven Adams helped him on the boards, um, but they got crushed on the boards again. I mean, Golden State, who has a much smaller team, has won the rebounding battle every single game. And that is purely about effort. Uh, which is just crazy. And they put Steven Adams back in and you're getting fewer minutes for Clark, who has been one of their best players consistently. Now, maybe the thought for Jenkins was Clark is only effective when you got Ja out there because Ja is creating so much pressure on the defense that when they collapse down, he can kick out to Clark for an easy cleanup within five feet of the rim. And, but the same could be said, I, I think on some level of Adams, it's not like he's stretching the floor. The Tillman, not getting playing time. Well, if you're going to make the choice for Adams, okay, you sacrifice the Tillman minutes. Uh, even though Tillman had uh, started previously in this series and beginning like the past five games had been getting a decent amount of minutes. Um, but okay, if you're going to make an AB switch there, you know, Adams came in and really helped him on the boards, but to limit the minutes of those other bigs, I found very interesting. But Memphis just, you know, really came down to the fourth quarter. 
and perhaps that it's it's a testament to Golden State's championship pedigree, the fact that they've been in the playoffs numerous times with this core. They've obviously, you know, won championships and they've gone deep into the playoffs and they know that it's a four quarter game and it's not over until the very end. But, you know, they were not shooting well at all through the first two quarters for sure. The third quarter, they, you know, Golden State started to turn around a little bit. They shot 40% from the field and 33% from three on three of nine shooting. But it's the fourth quarter where they shot 58.8% from the field and, you know, 50% from three. They go to the line. Now, here's the killer. They went to the line 17 times. 17 to Memphis's eight in the fourth quarter. And it's mainly due to Steph went to the line nine times. Jordan Poole went to it six and then Wiggins went to it. uh, Well, I'm sorry. Curry had nine free throws. Poole had six free throws and Wiggins had two, but it's mainly Curry and Poole forcing the issue, getting in to the paint and just making a difference down there. But then shooting that well, it's it's little things. Golden State goes four of eight from three in the fourth quarter. Memphis goes three of eight. Golden State goes 10 of 21, or pardon me, 10 of 17, uh, you know, from the field. Memphis goes 10 of 21. But the, the difference is those free throws, forcing the issue, getting in deep, and I mean, it was a close game. It was a three-point game. Golden State could very easily be down three to one right now. They could have lost game one. Clay missing those two free throws, and then uh, Ja coming down and missing that layup after we'd seen him previously on Memphis, just <laughs> or Minnesota make clutch layup after clutch layup. And he missed that one. It was, you know, close enough. The Memphis takes game two. Game three was a blowout. But game four, it's it's entirely possible that Memphis wins that game. And then Golden State is now down three games to one. And Memphis is riding high. But that's how the cookie crumbles. It didn't go their way. Um, although I will say for all the series, the officiating has been pretty strange at times. Certain things are called a charge and other things are called a block. Um, I think, you know, I think an assessment of what is a flagrant and what is not needs to be taken into account. Because there was a moment like in that uh, uh, Phoenix and Mavs game where uh, Bertans did a pump fake on the three, drove in was going up for a layup and he got hit by Crowder. And there was a discussion amongst the, you know, Reggie Miller saying, I don't think that's a flagrant, but the way that they've been calling flagrants, that might just be. And he hit him across the top of the chest, like just below his neck. And Bertans was doing a fine acting job because in the bang, bang of the play itself, it kind of looked like he karate chopped him in the throat. Um, and then you see the replay and be like, no chance. And they didn't call it as such, but there was a a, a moment where you're like, well, the way they're calling flagrants this playoffs. And sometimes it's justified. Uh, and others are just like, oh, come on, really? That's a just a hard playoff foul. That should be two shots and we move on. Um, you know, Booker getting hit in the air and then falling underneath the rim and then laying there acting. It's like, uh, we're going to reward this, aren't we? I don't know. I, th- I think that they're somehow like that uh, that clip of CP3 and Brunson where he CP3 grabs Brunson's arm and then pulls it in next to him and then tries and lifts his arms and suddenly Brunson's arm is in the way and uh, then does a big 
huge flourish with his arms or whatnot, and the refs call a foul, there's got to be some sort of detrimental penalty for that. Just has to be. Shouldn't be in the game. We should not be rewarding that. Like I, I think it, whatever the max penalty that you can get away with without going to arbitration, I, I think should be leveled against a player and being able to do it numerous times in a game. And almost like a you know, flagrant, you only get four points for the playoffs. So if you get two flagrant twos, now you get suspended a game. In technicals, it's the same thing. You get X number of technicals over the, the course of the regular season. Or pardon me, the course of the playoffs. I think the same thing should be flopping. Or that type of CP3 action where you're instigating the foul and then acting like the you know you've just been snipered from the the, the top row um yeah i think a, it you get severe and severe and severe to the degree that maybe you don't get suspended but you lose your game check or in the playoffs the further you go you get you know bonuses and whatnot you lose a portion of that bonus so if the series goes seven, you lose one-seventh of it. Or if it goes four, you lose a quarter of it. Just to really get this crap out of the game. But yeah, the officiating has been weird at times. Where you're like, okay, this this time it's a block, but last time you called that as a charge. And it's a tough play to call in the moment. Because it's just happening so fast, and you have to determine if a defender has at least one foot stationary, and they're not leaning into a guy, like trying to pivot their body or, or you know, lean their body into the direction to get extra contact, even if it's ever so slight. Um, so it's not like it's an easy call, but the consistency has been pretty all over the place. Um. But anyway, you know, I, Phoenix was my choice coming into this series. I still think it's Phoenix's to lose. Uh, they just have more depth, and they're not entirely reliant on one person. So if Book has a bad game, well, they still have CP and Bridges and Cam Johnson and Aiton and... You know, you can go on down the line and a few more players uh, that I trust just to get you a couple buckets here and a couple buckets there. Whereas Dallas, like if Doncic has a bad game, then you really need Bront, uh, Brunson to play great. And if Brunson just has an okay game, like they have, they, then they need, really need Spencer Dinwiddie to step up, step up. And not to say those guys can't, but we've just seen that more consistently from Phoenix over a, over the course of the season, when CP went out and Book went out, the other guy stepped up. But B, knowing that they've made it to a finals with this group, you just have more faith in them. But I think Phoenix takes this. And as for the other you know, series, I think Miami takes uh, that one and Golden State takes the other. I mean, it's, it's all kind of unsurprising if you've been watching the games. Whether or not Golden State can close out tonight, uh, I think they've got a shot. Given that they're the number three seed, this game is at home for them. And uh, Memphis has come in there in the past, but without Ja, they they have to rely on Golden State getting another piss-poor shooting performance and managing to maintain that piss-poor you know, shooting performance for four quarters. And just seems like the likelihood of that is not in Memphis's favor. All right, so the last series and probably the closest of all the series is Boston and Milwaukee, which is knotted up at two games apiece. And in that last one, you know, Milwaukee it looked like it was theirs watching that first half. You're like, all right, Milwaukee's 
setting the tone, uh, you know, taking it to them. It's a one-point game going into half with uh, Milwaukee up by one at that point. And then third quarter, Milwaukee comes back out, adds to that where they go up and they're up by uh, seven going into the fourth. And you're like, here we go. And in the fourth quarter, Boston outscores them by 15 points and wins the game by eight. And it, you know, you got a, a just a huge performance from Al Horford. Uh, Tatum played pretty well. Uh, Jalen Brown was uh, pretty good. Like that, across the board, they got pretty good to great from several guys. Derek White had one of his better games in the playoffs thus far. Horford was his best game of the playoffs. Tatum had a good one. Uh, Marcus Smart shot well. It's like you get that the the biggest uh, you know problem they had were. Tyson Pritchard, but Tyson going over five um, and over two. But everybody else on Boston had a good game, and it's it was an eight man rotation. They really, you know, winnowed that down to we're just playing our core dudes, and that's all we're doing. Um, and roughly the same can be said for Milwaukee. I mean, they put in their bench at the end of the game, but they just played their eight guys. I think the most disconcerting thing and, you know, Van Gundy has brought it up on the broadcast over the course of a couple games where Boston is content to watch Giannis shoot from three. And he went over four in that last game. But I looked it up. Over the course of the playoffs this year, he's shooting 14.8% on, I want to say it was 27 attempts. 14.8%. So last night's 0 for 4 game is roughly about what he's doing from three. And he's getting, you know, two to five three-point sh- you know, shots a game. And if the best you're going to do on any of those is hit one, maybe it's time to stop shooting from three. But there's four lost possessions right now. And it's not like Milwaukee shot well from three overall. Because then you have the other problem. They really need Chris Middleton back. Even though they were leading through three quarters, Drew Holiday had another, unfortunately, Drew Holiday-ish game. And I really think... So he shot the ball 22 times. He went five of 22 to shoot 22% overall. And the fact of the matter is that's kind of common for Drew. Like I would rather see them go to Lopez that many more times because I trust Lopez. He can shoot from three. And also uh, he's got a great low post game that he doesn't take advantage of as much these days as he used to, but it still exists. And I would trust him more at this point. And Middleton isn't coming back for at the very least game five, but I would assume at this point, this series. Now, Bud, when asked point blank about it, is coy and doesn't specifically say that he's out for games six and seven. But the trajectory of of everything that they've released and we know of to this point is Middleton is not coming back in this series. I think best case, it's trying to read the tea leaves, is game seven. And Middleton has played Boston pretty well over the years. It's like one of the few teams where he just, for whatever reason, the team he likes to play matches up well against, and they don't exactly have an answer for him. But Drew shooting that many times is always a big fat red flag to me. Um, I think I would shift and be like, Drew, we need to throttle back those number of shots that you're taking and funnel them out to the other guys, get Lopez, get Connaughton, get Allen, get, you know, other people in the offense involved. So that way, you know, if you go five of 12, 
and you split those 10 shots among other guys, well, there's a chance that Lopez hits two or three more or Grayson Allen hits two or three more. Pat hits, you know, one or two more. Um, and I just think it would be a healthier diet on offense if Drew wasn't shooting as much. And for Boston, I mean, credit to Boston. They didn't give up. And, you know, you can't really rely on Horford to do that several more times in the playoffs, but you might be able to get another 30-point game out of them if they go deep enough. But it's it's kind of one of those of, okay, that's the Horford game. In the next one, if Smart goes off and all they get, they get one of the two Jays play as well as they did in this game, although both played good to borderline great, um, then you could have the Marcus Smart game. Or it's a Grant Williams game where he goes, you know, six of 11 from the field, but he's three of five from three. And then he also is crushing them on the boards and his defense on Giannis is stout enough. And uh, yeah, just Milwaukee, when Drew isn't hitting those shots, then, then Boston can then focus their defense on Giannis and be like, Giannis, you need to beat us on your own. And so long as he's not settling for threes, you still got a shot. But it's, I mean, this one, though, I don't know who's going to win this series still. It's two to two. Each has now won on the opponent's court, which is a signifier of both these teams are pretty evenly matched. You know, your job as the lower seed is to win one of those two games on the road. Milwaukee did that. And then Boston is like, okay, well, we got to wrestle back home court advantage. And they did that. And now we go to Milwaukee, or pardon me, Boston in this next one. Now Boston has to win on the road. Uh, Milwaukee does at least one time in these next three games, whereas Boston just needs to hold serve at home. And it's a who's going to break. Like this is the most fascinating series uh, to me. The last matchup, it ended up being, you know, Boston was in my initial rankings. Boston and Nets were first, and then Minnesota and Memphis were second. But it ended up being Minnesota and Memphis was the most wildly entertaining to me. Uh, and now it's this round, it's Milwaukee and Boston because I just don't have a solid idea as to who's going to win this. Although much like last year, I think whoever takes this takes the East. You know, it was the Milwaukee and uh, uh, Brooklyn series. And actually I felt going in, whoever wins that wins the championship, but then Giannis hurt his knee. And I was like, well, maybe that assessment isn't accurate uh, given how well Phoenix is playing, but ultimately it bore out to be true. Um, but I think whoever takes this takes the East. I still feel that just because these are the tougher teams to me. This was the tougher side of the bracket in the East. And I'm not denigrating, you know, Miami and Philly, but they also had Atlanta uh, and Toronto to get with, get through. And that's no Brooklyn and Chicago. I think Toronto's better than Chicago, obviously. But I think Chicago might be better than Atlanta. If we were fully healthy, especially. And then Brooklyn was the... Everybody was still talking themselves into, they could still win a championship. I mean, there was a lot of belief, even though there was no evidence of that during, over the course of the regular season, uh, just because they couldn't consistently get whoever in the hell was going to play out there. But uh, I don't know. I just think the road has been tougher. They'll be more battle-tested. They will have whoever makes it out of this will have fought through more adversity. Now you could say, well, they'll be banged up and tired. Entirely possible. But if it's someone like Milwaukee, be like they're getting Middleton back. Um might be might be a little rusty. But boy, they just made it through a brutal series without him. And then Boston, it's like it's been a while since we've been to the Eastern Conference Finals, but here we are again. And now 
it's not a too much too soon situation. It's a we've grown into this. Although Miami's playing pretty good basketball right now, so it's I'm not going to discount that. Should be a good series regardless. But yeah, this next Milwaukee Boston game is going to be pretty fantastic. I'm looking forward to it later today. That's going to be a good one. Um, all right, let's jump into the chat real quick, and then we're going to call it a day here. Uh, Yuri McGarry says, hello, everyone. Sean Gardner says, loving all the playoff action. This year has been particularly entertaining compared to the last couple of years. Every series is fun to watch. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I agree as well. Um, David Nishimoto says, who you who you think tonight, Celtics or Bucks? Um, eh, I'm going to go Bucks based on nothing. I think it's going to be a close game. And so long as Giannis doesn't settle for threes and Drew decides to take seven, eight fewer shots, pepper the ball around a little bit more, I think they got a chance at this. I think they got a chance. Uh, Ignacio Padilla says, a big fan, first time catching live. I have one question. Do you think the Celtics win it all this year? And if they don't, do you blow it up and build around Tatum, not Jalen Brown? I think they've proven that you can win at a high level with both these guys. So I don't know why. If the blow it up discussion was, can these guys ever do it? And now they've proven, especially after the Christmas break, that this team makes a lot of sense as it's currently constructed. Now, maybe you could fill in around the margins um, and make slight upgrades here and there. But, yeah, I still don't think we're at the point. This isn't a Dame and CJ thing where if they were to make it to a conference finals, uh, it doesn't feel earned because they will have had to gone. They had they crushed Brooklyn, and now they will beat the defending champs who are playing some of their best basketball. It'd be a testament. Even if they go seven games and lose, I still think you keep this core together. Uh, JMB says, hey, folks, Yuri McGarrett says, getting two wins against Phoenix is honestly more than we could have hoped for. Hopefully, Nico Harrison got can get uh, something done in the first full offseason he has. So far, his moves have gone good, especially considering what he had to work with. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the simple Dimwitty and Bertons for, for Kristaps was ultimately a really good trade. I mean, I, I, for Dallas's sake, I was happy to see Kristaps move on. Um, but I was questioning cause you, the length of that Bertons contract and at that number, it just hasn't really paid the dividends that was anticipated when you signed him or when Washington signed him. Um, so I was skeptical of this, but Dimwitty gives him another playmaker. Now, if he'll step up and actually play make, um, I mean, in that last game, you were more apt to see him with his arms raised, looking at the ref, like, why am I not getting this foul called as opposed to getting back on defense? Uh, it seemed like he was doing that every other possession where he'd lose the ball. Phoenix would get a steal and then he would stop and just look at the ref and be like, you gotta, you gotta keep playing. It's fine if you do that every once in a game because there are moments when you'd be shocked, but if you're shocked every single time, then you're the boy who cried wolf. Um, so Sean Gardner says, Memphis has played so well this year without John Morant that I feel like they still might have a shot. Yeah, maybe. But they've also kind of reverted to we need Ja in the playoffs, especially late in the game. And I'm not sure who those late game situations we need a bucket right now. I'm sure Dylan Brooks thinks it's him. I would rather have Bain shooting it personally or have Clark out there and have some two-man game between Bain and Clark. Um, hell, I'd take Kyle Anderson at this point shooting it over Dylan Brooks, probably Tyus Jones. Um, although I'm not the biggest Dylan Brooks fan just because I think his, his confidence exceeds his ability more often than not to me. But, I mean, I didn't watch every Grizzlies game this year. I did watch a lot. They're one of the teams that I enjoyed watching, so I watched a decent amount of Grizzlies games. Um, and I have in the past, especially now that they've been trending in this direction. Um, and I've just never been, I don't know, his volume scares me 
there are games where he can go off, but uh, I think I'd rather disperse those shots overall to the rest of my teammates than to give them to Dylan Brooks. But, you know, coaching staff there knows more than I do about basketball. So they obviously trust him and they want him out there. So who am I? Um, Daniel Savoy says, morning, everyone. You think the Grizzlies should shut Morant down? Don't risk exacerbating the injury. I think you shut him down for game five. And if they win game five, maybe keep him shut down for game six. It just depends on how bad that bone bruise is, but you don't want to do any long-term damage because the future is so bright with him. Um, that's why I'm kind of fearful with Embiid. You've racked up two pretty serious injuries. I don't want to see you get hurt and then fully alter the trajectory of your career. Um, Jay Cleveland says, have you heard the theory that players get hurt more today because their bodies aren't conditioned and used to the rougher play like eighties and nineties basketball? Um, yeah, I could see that. Uh, I, I could also see that maybe some of those, uh, injuries from the eighties and nineties weren't diagnosed because we didn't have, you know, guys would have been concussed and played. And now you have to pass through concussion protocols. Also, guys have to run more now than they did back then, just by because you have to guard against three-point shots. So the overall mileage you're getting, you're getting more wear and tear on your joints. And perhaps you're not as able to land safely because your body is tired uh, from having to do done so much more running previously in the game that you can't brace yourself on those falls and whatnot as deftly as you could have, but there probably is some truth in the, you know, your body builds up defenses for repeat injuries or repeat uh, collisions with certain spots. Um, it's kind of like uh, in tennis players, whatever their serving arm is, the bone density on that arm is, I believe it's twice what it is on their off arm through repeated use and the body calcifying and building up the strength of the bones on that arm. So it doesn't break because it's just going through much, so much torque and pressure. Um, uh, JMB says he thinks that the nutrition, physical training, and medical technology is better than ever though. Um, and JMB talking about some of the flopping that I brought up that he's a soccer fan. Uh, all right. A little discussion, inner chat discussion about the flops. Um, so let's see. So JMB and uh, Yuri McGarley, I'm assuming that's all inner chat because I don't have the time to read through all of that because um, it's just be kind of dull for those listening or watching. So I'm just going to assume that the bulk of that back and forth was inner chat discussion because that's what it kind of looked like. Uh, JJ Dobby says, now that Embiid disappoints, what was the biggest playoff played through injury, injury performance? I wouldn't say he disappoints. I mean, it's pretty impressive that he's got a broken orbital bone and his hand is completely fucked. And on his shooting hand, he's got ligaments and I believe a fracture of his thumb, his right thumb on his shooting hand, which is his right hand. It's really impressive that he's pushing himself through this. Um, but, I mean, this is pretty big. Pretty big. The all-time? I, I don't know. I'd have to sit down and think about it. So J&B pointing out the... I don't mean any... He's quoting me saying, I don't mean to disrespect, but... And then proceeds to disrespect. <laughs> uh, who did I do that about specifically? Um, yeah, I, I can't remember the distinct... I try not to do that to Stephen A., no disrespect, and then says something just brutally terrible. Um, but anyway, so I'm looking forward to tonight's games. I think Golden State closes out, and I'm gonna take Milwaukee on the road because I think the way this series has been going, Milwaukee wins on the road tonight, Boston wins on the road in the next one, and then we have to go back to Boston. It's gonna be like the inverse of what you anticipate. So now we have the Milwaukee wins. You have the anticipation of, oh, they could close out in game uh, 
game six and then Boston's like, not so fast. And we have to go back to a game seven. For some reason, that feels like the gist of this one uh, to me. Um, but there we go. That's today's dimes. Thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat. It was awesome to see all of you. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Matt Nost uh, anywhere on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and that is it for this week. I'll see you guys next week with some more dimes action as the second round is over and we are into the conference finals until then stay safe out there. I'll see you soon. Adios. Adios.